the garden help you need. From three of the top experts in the Mid-South, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Mid-South Gardening on KWAM, Jim, the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM. My name is Kenneth Maybe I'll be your host this morning. I got my good friend over here, Mr. Jim Crowder. Howdy. Good morning, Mr. Jim. And our good friend and co-host of the show, Miss Veda Vance, she'll be here next weekend. Yes. You know, but we'll miss her this, this morning, though, Jim. Yeah. All right, now we'll, we'll party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? That's right. All right, how was your week? Anything new and exciting uh, in the gardening community, or um, not really? Yeah. No, you know, you're still. I've been a little, been a little under the weather, so I've been mostly not doing anything. Uh, and what about your Facebook page? Oh, it's great. In fact, last night we had a landmark. We crossed five thousand members. Unbelievable. And yeah. what? Hold on. And what's the name of this? Place? It's Mid South Gardening, gardening in USDA Zone Six, Seven, and Eight. Mm. And uh, yeah, we've added about eleven hundred mo- members in the last twenty-eight days. Or now, so. can this thing get too big, Jim? Well, it can. It's becoming uh, and taking more and more of my time now. I'm I'm less able to answer questions and mm. more having to police it for people that are trying to advertise or mm. you know our, our this group we don't I don't allow links to sites you know mm-hmm. uh, if if you have to look up something to tell somebody else how to do it you're not an expert you mm-hmm. know and and this group is really designed for experts people who have done it people who want to do it. Uh, and it's it's just basically a conversation, and that's that's what we're shooting for with this. So, I spend a lot of time, you know, taking things off, and oh, so people do try to get in there and get on there. And, oh yeah, and, and they promote. think, and and you know, there are a lot of groups that love that for you to get on there, but you don't know how much of that stuff is true. Right, I got you. You know, the vast majority of these articles that you read about how to grow plants are not written by gardeners; they're written by writers. Mm. So you know, there may be a pigeon of good stuff in there mm-hmm. but there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't apply to this area this soil mm-hmm. and the real world okay so, all right yeah. but but if people i mean it's i guess you can get on there and join as absolutely a, just get, and then you can post questions and post pictures, pictures and, brag yep that's what it's all about and then you know if you got a question if you're trying to id a plant we'll be happy to help you now it's not the place to go you know can Y'all seen any thrift anywhere? It's not a shopping service, okay? Mm-hmm. Pick up the phone and call. <laughs> Can I? <laughs> and Jay, Jan, Jan Farmer texted in. He said, uh, uh, Veda, you look a lot like Kenneth this morning. Oh, uh, yeah. What a nasty thing to say. He said, did, uh, <laughs> did you have a bad night? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. So with people that are looking at Facebook, uh, they're yeah. seeing Kenneth this morning. We have and the and camera not Veda, back. Uh, Jan. This so, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Jim. You know, we just went through a pretty tough you know, winter. Um, and we saw a lot of damage out there. Okay. And most of it has proven to be more superficial than truly detrimental so far. The vast majority of it with a couple of exceptions. Yeah. I mean, some fig trees were burnt down to the ground, of course, and it looks like they're coming back from the root system. Uh, the Indian hawthorns really took a beating. Yeah, some of those are just not worth trying to save, even right. if they're root alive. Right, and, and I mean, on most of the hawthorns, I mean, they're dead to the ground, if not completely dead. And I've seen some of them that have a little green coming out from 
the bottom. But let's say you go in there and you cut those things down to ground level. I mean, it's going to take forever for yeah. them to, you know, do to have what you had before. Right. You know, and you can't just let them grow. What you have to do is trim them consistently mm-hmm. to thicken them up right. to get them to the height to you want. To get that nice thick so look it, that you had. It's not like, a oh, it grows up and then fills out. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, exactly. But like I said, I mean, the good thing is whether it's, uh, you know, ligustrums, uh, azaleas, uh, you know, uh, hollies to some extent, most of your broadleaf evergreens are the one that, you know, took the brunt because you had that foliage out there, you know, this past winter. But like I said, I'm pleasantly surprised that most of this stuff is really coming back out. The new growth is looking good. Now, I was talking to people in the garden center, you know, this whole week, and they're still asking about damage that they're seeing, of course, on the foliage and also on the, you know, the plant or the shrub itself uh, from this past winter. And some things are really slow in coming out, even though they're still green, like a lot of the gardenias, Mm -hmm. for example. You know, the, the tissue in the stems are still good and green, uh, but they're still not seeing, you know, if any new growth, hardly any new growth. So we're just telling people to go out there, uh, you know, if you know something's dead, cut it out. Uh, go ahead and feed your plants, uh, maybe, you know, more so now than ever, because they're going to need that extra energy to really replace all that foliage that they lost. Um, any other words of advice, Jim? On well, I think we're to the point where things like gardenias, ligustrums, I would go ahead and trim back to good green wood if you can. All right, but let me say this. I, I mean, I did have some people come in and say they've given it the old scratch test. They scratch the uh, the stems from top to bottom, and they're green mm-hmm. all the way, you know, from top to bottom. But they're still not seeing hardly any foliage yet flush yeah, out take, on these it things. Takes a lot of, it takes a little time for new buds to form, mm-hmm. okay? But a conversation I had, and I'm sure I've said this before, uh, with Bud Cartwright many, many years ago, he had seen, uh, particularly with ligustrums that got freeze damage, that that tissue, if you cut it off immediately where it's green wood, Mm -hmm. or as soon as you realize it, then it sprouts pretty readily. Hmm. But if you leave it alone... His thoughts were that the cells ferment and kill the cell below it, and they continue to go backwards. Mm-hmm. And so he thought that it was a good idea to cut on ligustrums, at least, that dead wood out before that happens. I got no science to back that up. Right. You know, but well, Evan, clearly he was he a grower, and it worked for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so it doesn't hurt to go out there, of course, cut out anything that's dead or you think that might be dead. Go ahead and feed these plants, uh, whether it's an organic product or a synthetic product. I just I would feed it with a non-burning, slow-release type uh, fertilizer. And then let's just wait and see what happens. Soil temperatures are going to get warmer. The temperatures are going to get warmer. Um, and, you know, I've said it a million times. I'm just telling people, just be a little patient and let's see if these things come out. I said, sooner or later, we will know, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So, you know, there could be, um, you know, some... And I say this, that there could be some shrubs out there that appear to be green in the tissue that might not ever come out, though. Yeah, and we still run the risk of some flushing and then folding. You know, that happens quite often. Um, that there's still carbohydrates stored in a the stem. They flush mm-hmm. some growth, but the bark is damaged enough on near the ground that it can't get that food mm-hmm. back down to the root system, and they eventually go backwards. 
So, I mean, we're not out of the woods, and I don't feel real comfortable, you know, until about the 1st of July mm-hmm. as far as seeing what damage may be out there. Wow. So so they'll have those carbohydrates stored, of course, through the winter months, right. while, even while they're not growing, right. and they have enough carbohydrates in there to flush out. So you're thinking, okay, everything's coming around, I'm looking good here, and then they could collapse after that. Yeah. Well, okay, something to look forward to then. Isn't it, though? (laughs) All right, well, so, I mean, but there again, I am, I do feel better, though, Jim. I mean, when this first started, and it was so cold for so long, and there was ice and snow, which could have been a blessing, by the way. That was a blessing, yes. uh, I was thinking, my God, there's going to be so much damage out there. Uh, I planted last October um, Victoria Blue Salvia came through perfectly Mm. it's beautiful almost to the point of blooming now and it was snow covered and that protected it i'm fairly certain it would not have survived oh i agree i agree the ice and the snow definitely act as a as a blanket as an insulator for all of us and then what about the azaleas you know they looked horrible as far as the foliage uh, and I know we only got like 30 more seconds, but the blooms were beautiful and still are this year. Yeah, well, I've got a, I have a southern indica that's um, a standard that's over a little statue, and it got bent over to the ground. The two or three limbs that were snow-covered have flowers right now. Wow. <laughs> but nothing else has a flower, you know. Mm-hmm. But I am seeing almost all over pops of new growth. So the the wood is not dead. All the leaves are toast, mm-hmm. but it is going to try so to So I come think out. our azaleas are going to be perfectly fine. I think fine. so, yeah. And the same thing. I mean, make sure you go out there and feed these azaleas because uh, they're going to have to replace a lot more foliage, Jim. Yes. Uh, then they typically do any other year. Right. You know, so a little fertilizer out there, whether it's holly tone, azalea food, anything like that. And even the azalea food, you know, they say wait and feed them after they bloom. You can go ahead and feed them with the now. azalea food because yeah. all they're saying, it doesn't hurt the azalea. No. Uh, it's just they don't want you to flush out growth before the bloom to hide the bloom. So that's no big deal, especially this year. Yeah. All right, guys, we're up and running this morning. You can get in touch with us, 260-5926, 260-5926. That's the phone number. And, of course, you can always send uh, send us a text, Jim, on uh, the Mighty 990. That's the Facebook page. And give us a like if you would. We'll be back after these moments. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening here on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And, of course, you can always go to the Facebook uh, page and listen to us live there, Jim. You can listen to the podcast later on, and you can also shoot us a text. And you can stream it live on from the web uh, from the website. Yeah, the Mighty Nine Ninety. Uh, Audrey uh, texted in and said, "Talk about the invasion of the caterpillars." Now that sounds like you know a movie to me, yeah. but <laughs> what, yeah. what do we mean by the invasion well, we of are, the caterpillars? We are seeing very early and larger infestations of the eastern t- tent caterpillar. Oh, uh, we've had a number of post in the last uh, week to 10 days about them people wondering you know a lot of people had never seen them before you know and this is the where you look up there and it looks like a huge spider web. no that's a web worm okay. now this is a tent caterpillar that tends to build in in real tight in the um oh well, arches in the crotch between, of a tree, crotch I got of a tree. right or limb right and uh and <clears throat> you know pe- 
some of the people like from up north go, you know, have you never seen these before? Because they're terrible up there. Yeah, and you, <laughs> you mean, know? and you see these like on cherries and those kind of yeah, things. Yeah, and this year we're seeing them very early. That is unbelievable uh, that you're yeah. already seeing them. Yeah, so what do we do about them? Well, okay, here's the thing. If you've got one or two, don't worry about them. Blast them apart with a water hose and, yeah. you know, let the, the birds eat them. Um, they're not going to do significant damage to your tree. Yeah, but don't we normally see hundreds of these in, in, in well, a tree? There, there will be, you know, probably three to four hundred of the worms in a tent okay but if you have lots of them then you may want to spray uh the safest thing is to use is bt okay Mm -hmm. it's a bacteria and you just spray that web and the area the foliage around that they'll come out munch on it and really in just 10 seconds or so they stop feeding and drop to the ground and bt is just a very benign organic it's a bacteria um, insecticide that's not going to hurt anything right it only attacks caterpillars only kills them so it's not going to hurt your beneficials it's not going to hurt anything else uh, and it's very, very good to use. Um, again, if it's one or two, yeah, I wouldn't worry about them. Okay, just, long, right? just blast them apart. Now, what about spinosad? I mean, spinosad's that... another good one. Okay. okay, it's another good organic. Uh, probably lasts a little longer for you. Um, but again, it's also made from a bacteria, and it's uh, it's it's an excellent. Both of them are, are really good to use. I wonder why, Jim, we're seeing them so early this year, though. I mean, it just seems like this is really it's, it's early. early. You know, and I'm I'm curious about that myself i don't i don't really know why particularly with the one really deep freeze that we had um i'm surprised but anyway regardless they're here which is you know good for you that sells pesticides but it's <laughs> yeah. you know everybody else is not happy about all right it. so the invasion of the caterpillars or tent caterpillars that like you said jim if you only see a few of them so what right yeah. if you see quite a few of them get out there and spray the bt or the spinosad i mean there are other insecticides that will work but those two those are, are very safe safest, you know right? and if they drip down in your head it ain't a big deal uh yeah. you know but uh, what i see some of these people says you know um <clears throat> take a rag and put kerosene on it and torch them you know and I, Gee whiz, you now know, what it's about, not that serious. Yeah, what about <laughs> the people that say, you know, you have to get like a long pole and tear open, you know, the tent? Now, if you're spraying you spray. the foliage around it, there's no need in that, okay, because they're going to come out and feed on it. And they're only in that tent for protection right. anyway, right? If you're right? spraying something like um, a contact killer, maybe malathion or something, right. yeah, it'd be beneficial to get it on the worm and there, mm-hmm. yeah, probably tear it up. Mm-hmm. And if you can te- just tear it open, the birds will get a lot of them. But, you know, it's just so much safer just to take a, a, a hose-in sprayer, and most of those will hit 20 feet or so, mm. and just spray the area, you know, five-foot circle around them, and, and they're toast. And, and what if you had hundreds, Jim, on a tree? And typically we, we see that, and, yeah. you, and you don't do anything. Well, now, they, over a long haul, they can seriously damage. Most trees, if they're defoliated by an insect, will flush one time. Mm. some twice but most about one Mm. and if that happens you know you seriously decrease the amount of food that's available Mm. to that plant so if you've got a tree that you're fond of and it's got hundreds it's time to call in the big guns get a tree service that can get up into that tree and spray and take care of it. Yeah, and I've seen them where, you know, you'll have the now if it's a big tree, a mature tree, and you've got a few of the tents up there, um, you know, that's to me is not going to be that's on hickories and pecans in particular. Uh, and you'll see a lot of the end of the limbs that have, you know, the, the leaves are completely gone. You know they're not going to strip every leaf off of these big trees. Right. So, you know, and a lot of people, they're so high they can't get to them anyway. And that's where an arborist or someone would come into play. 
So smaller trees that you can spray, absolutely get out there and spray to knock them out. Huge trees, some of these hickories, uh, pecans, and, and other trees that you see a few of the tents up there, you're saying not really a big deal because they really. can't do that much damage to the tree anyway. Right, and you'll see them. You know, They'll come out of that tent, and they'll usually line up on the trunk in these you know, 25 wide, you know, 10 foot long bands, and they'll go up and they'll just work a limb and just strip it down, and then they'll go back down and right. they'll get back in the net. Well, and Audrey, nest, so. Audrey did text in and said she had hundreds. So, yeah. So she's, it's, she's it's, got, it's time then probably. She's got the invasion. Yeah. Um, thank you, Audrey, for the text. I appreciate that. And hopefully that helped you out. Also, we had a text from Philip um, Thrasher. He said, is there a way to keep boars from killing squash plants? Some preventative method, question mark. Uh, I have I plant yellow squash, uh, for example, and we grow uh, grow well for a month or so. Then they collapse on them, Jim. So we're talking about the old squash bore. Mm-hmm. And I would say uh, for Philip that there is a bifenferin granule uh, that you can get that you can surely uh, you know work into the soil. In fact, I wouldn't plant squash unless I mix this in the soil around my squash plants. Uh, and it does a really good job in killing the squash borer that's in the ground. You know what I'm saying? Um, so bifenferin granules uh, worked in around the squash plants or worked into the soil before you plant the squash plant. And what other methods do you have, Jim? Well, you know, as soon as you plant them, uh, you want to start, if, if you want to go an organic method or don't want to use bifenthrin, start dusting them immediately with dipel dust mm-hmm. or spraying them with BT okay. uh, or spinosad. Mm-hmm. And as they and grow... And how often would you, would you dust and Probably spray? every three to five days. And, and, and again, if you get a, a really heavy rain, mm-hmm. okay, I'd come back behind it. And you're going to want to focus on the bottom 15, 12 to 15 inches. That's where they're going to get in at. So as it grows, you still you don't have to dust the whole plant. You just focus on that stem from the ground. And I always like to dust a little bit on the ground, mm-hmm. then the cane, and then out to about 15 inches or so. And it's it'll give you protection as soon as they bite into it. Their toast. So, yeah. 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 And and have you ever heard of using the bifenferin granules? Oh, yeah. 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 And work that into the soil around Absolutely. the squash. And that's just another layer of protection, if you will. So, um, yeah, Philip, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, it's nothing worse than getting those uh, squash plants out there, getting them going. They start looking beautiful, Jim, and then all of a sudden they just collapse on you. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, there's uh, you know holes in the stem at the bottom down there where these boards have gotten in there, and they just start boring their way through your squash. Just eating right through the squash. And once they're in there, I mean, it's uh, the only thing you can do is get a razor blade, split it open, pull them out, and hope that your plant still survives. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, they fry up real good if you get a whole batch of them. But, uh, <laughs> 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 so, yes, uh, bifenferin granules that you can sprinkle into the soil, uh, dust with dipel like Jim was talking about and are spraying with BT uh, or the uh, the spinosad. All of those really help control the squash bores. But I'm, I'm with Philip. I think the best curative is preventative on this. You know, I found something though that works very, very well is I buy my squash. <laughs> no, Jim. I do. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, and, and I swear my maters and my squash cost me $49 a pound. It's just, I just do that. I got to grow flowers. You're killing me. <laughs> now, why is it uh, some years, though, we see more, a lot more squash borers than we do other years? And we'll talk about that when we get back from the break. But um, 
Uh, Jim, we're also going to talk about roses. We're going to talk about some boxwoods this morning. We're sure going to talk about some caladiums. Yep. I think you might have said something yesterday morning uh, when you were up here talking about that. So we got a lot to cover, guys, but you can give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. Of course, like I said, go to Facebook, the Mighty 990, the Mid-South Gardening. Guys, we'll be right back after these messages. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Jim, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Mr. Kenneth. Just want to say good morning to you, Mr. Jim. Uh, our good friend and co-host of the show, Miss Veda Vance, she'll be back here next weekend. Uh, we've got Miss Pam on the line, and we do have uh, Sonia... And we have Audrey. We'll get to all three of y'all. But you want to give us a call? It's easy, guys. 260-5926. 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 KWAM Facebook gym and uh, see us there and shoot us a text, whatever you want to do. All right. First, let's go to Miss Pam on line one. Pam, good morning to you. Oh, good morning. Uh, my question today is I've been seeing these beautiful plants around town that have purple blossoms on them. And they have long stems, about uh, they're about 30 inches high, but I don't know what they're called, and I'd love to buy some plants like that. So these are desirable plants in people's beds that have a purple bloom this early in the year, and you said they're about 30 inches tall. Right. Well, you know, it would be great if you could send me a picture. That would make it a lot easier. But one thing to look for, right now, my hardy orchids, they're called Blatilla, B-L-E-T-I-L-L-A, are in full bloom. And they have narrow stems like that. They're 24 to 30 inches tall, just loaded with multiple purple flowers. And you typically buy those as a bulb, Jim? Uh, Yes, or a plant, a perennial, yeah. And and you don't see them everywhere. Uh, The plant sales like the Botanic Garden and Dixon, that sort of thing, are good places. And we've had them in the nursery business, you know, from time to time. Um, But they're, uh, they're absolutely beautiful, very easy, great shade plant. Uh, so look and see if it's a blatilla, if if you or can. hardy orchid. Yeah, hardy orchid, and see if maybe that's what it is. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I'm not familiar with it, and, you know, usually you see the same old stuff every year, and this is a different uh, plant, and it's, it is a gorgeous plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pam, and, and blooming this early in the season, you know, there's only so many things that would be doing that. Yeah, just even, to be 30 even my tall. snapdragons are not that tall, and, you know, that I planted last summer. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that. That would be my guess. Yeah, take a look at that, Pam. Take a look at the hardy orchid uh, and see if that's it. And if that's not it, uh, take a picture and uh, if you get a chance and just send it to us. Do you have anything like that at Dan West? I don't have any hardy orchids. I was uh, a lady called the other day, uh, and typically we've carried them as a bulb before. And I went back there and looked, and I didn't see any this year. Some years we have them, some years we don't. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't have any plants coming in later on. But uh, no bulbs as we speak, Pam, and no plants as we speak. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate the call, Pam. Have a great weekend, dear. Yeah, but availability's changed basically every week. Yeah. In fact, we had somebody call Audrey here uh, or send us a text wanting to know. She was in a nursery, and it seemed like prices had gone way up. And yes, they have. Um, two reasons, primarily. One, freight. Okay, there is a lack of trucks right now, and so freight has gone up considerably. The other thing is... 30, 40, 50 percent in some cases. 
The other thing is uh, there's just very little availability, okay? We had a banner year last year, sold a lot more stuff than most nurseries do. They're struggling to catch up. This year's been another banner year. They're selling stuff even younger than it should be. And on top of that, a lot of uh, what was grown on the Gulf Coast Mm -hmm. was zapped by that freeze also. So it's taking time to get it back looking good again. You know, if if you send brown um, plants into a nursery, they're not real happy about that. So the supply, Jim, is not... uh, It's just not there. Not what it should be, and the demand is greater than the supply, of course. Right. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. And the freight. Yeah. All right, so Audrey, yeah, so overall, uh, it seems like prices have gone up uh, a little bit. Some have, uh, you know, and some haven't, but uh, a lot of that is freight and the, and of course, the cost of the material because of the, the supply. Jim, there's just, there's hardly any out there. You know, normally you'll see nurseries have clearance sales or they'll run things on special that they've got excess inventory. There is no excess inventory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and you know that firsthand yeah. also. <laughs> And we also had a text, guys, from Sonia. She said, can you talk about taking care of lemon trees? Uh, she had one growing in a pot last year, Jim, and it had the black mold on the stems and the leaves. Uh, she had it in the garage all winter this year. Of course, we know we have to bring our citrus trees in in the winter. They won't make it. Uh, and it, uh, she removed all the leaves that were left, but the stems still have the black on them. Uh, what should I do also sometimes? It doesn't produce lemons. So what's, I mean, citrus trees are actually pretty easy to grow, okay? Yes. And there are things that can affect lemon trees, uh, insects, disease, but also are there any, uh, and we'll talk about that, but are also, are there any, I don't know, uh, you know, things that people can do to ensure that they get lemons? Yes, there are. All right, well, first, the black stuff on your stems, that's sooty mold, and it's growing on honeydew. And honeydew is a secretions of, on citrus, usually scale insects. Mm-hmm. And when they, they suck the sap out of the plant, it, they, it goes out the other end of the little bug and lands on the tree, and then sooty mold grows on that sweet and sappy so stuff. So if you see black sooty mold, kind of like we see on crepe myrtles, right. it's not the mold that's really the problem. It's and the mold symptom. is only there because of the insects. Right. So probably going to need to keep an oil, an all-seasons oil spray on hand, okay? That's what they use in Florida on a lot of the citrus crops to just spray them down with oil, and it smothers the insect and keeps this keeps them from getting. And that you could be green. neem oil, all seasons oil, any kind of oil yes, spray. Gotcha. Right. Um, and just you can buy it in a ready to use. You can just spray it down, or you can mix it yourself, which is more economical. But be prepared to on a good day take it outside and just drown it. Soak the whole plant so it's down to dripping. Okay, and it's safe for you. It's not you know you don't have to worry about anything with it. Uh, and let's smother any scale that may get on there. Okay. Citrus like three things. Lots of sun, lots of water, lots of fertilizer. Okay. But be careful with what you use for fertilizer. Okay. No miracle grow. Don't be doing that. Okay. <laughs> that is. Now why, now, why do you say that, Jim? You get a lot of soluble salts up mm-hmm. with it because it's a cheaply made fertilizer. Okay. All right. You use a quality fertilizer. Osmocote's good. Any of the Fox Farm products. Um, there is a citrus tone. Um, right. that you can use, but I, I like to use it, but use it sparingly because it does have 
it's it's made from organic stuff and sometimes if you have animals they'll dig in there because of cats and things like that just because so, of the odor right yeah so it won't hurt them but um some of the other ones are a little less, less inviting yeah okay. <laughs> to the to your yeah pet. we sell a good bit of that citrus tone yeah, yeah it's a good product and it has some micronutrients in it that help improve the color of your leaves and the photosynthesis all right so you said good light Full sun. Full sun. Right. Um, so and they don't mind the water, but you better have good drainage. Right. Okay. And then fertilize them. Right. Now, getting them to bloom. If you get them in the sunlight, they'll bloom. And the nice thing about citrus is you don't need a second plant. You don't have to cross-pollinate. But the pollen is very sticky. Hmm. It will not move from one flower to the other or even from the stamen, the, the stamens to the pistil of that plant. So how does it get moved? It gets moved normally by insects, mm-hmm. and if you don't have insects, then it goes by you. Take a paintbrush and just a lot, small paintbrush, go in there and just swipe it around the flowers. Okay, and just, just just move it from flower to flower. Yeah, is all you're doing. Yep. You're you moving just, that pollen. Just yourself. take it in there and draw circles in the flower, and then go do it again. Q tip, paintbrush, yep. anything like that. Right, okay. and that will help pollinate those flowers for you. Okay. Um, and that's pretty much it. Now, they, they do, like I said, they like lots of fertilizer. So fertilize them March through September every month, okay? Mm-hmm. Whether and it's a liquid or whether it's granulated. Whatever it is, because even if it's just now breaking down and feeding the plant, you want to put some that's going to be breaking down 30 to 45 days from now. Got so it. you have that continuous feed the whole time. Gotcha. All right. And now what about, uh, so you get rid of the scale or the aphids that mm-hmm. could be on the lemon tree with an oil-based spray. And there are other ones, but that's probably one of the better ones to use. And, Jim, even when you get rid of the insects, the sooty mold does not go away overnight. No, it doesn't. Uh, so, but even if you see sooty mold and you don't see any insects, you're still okay. Yeah, Because you're you've okay. gotten rid of the insects yeah, that cause the it's sooty not gonna, mold. It's not going to hurt the plant at all, okay? Now, if it's become very tall and only has a handful of leaves on it, you don't have a lot of food producing tissue. So the tree will really benefit by cutting it back substantially. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you've got one that's four feet tall and got six leaves on it, mm-hmm. take eight to 10 inches off of it. Gotcha. Just trim it so that it will flush new growth thicker and it will, it will be healthier quicker. And, and I know we got about 30 seconds before we have to go to a break. Now, what about the pot size, Jim? Um, well, I found that they really can go very long periods of times in a relatively small pot. Being fairly pot Right, down. particularly like Meyer lemon, which is a natural dwarf. Yeah. You know, even in the ground, it only gets about eight feet tall or yeah. so. So, uh, yeah, the little more uh, root bound, the better fruit production you'll likely get. So uh, that's my point. So you don't want to have a four-foot um, Meyer lemon in a 20-inch pot. No, 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 no. All right, Sonia. Well, hopefully that'll help you out. Uh, you know, get rid of the insects. Eventually, you'll get rid of the sooty mold. Do the fertilizing like Jim was talking about. Water uh, as needed, uh, as long as you've got good drainage. Hope that'll help you out. Anyway, guys, we're up and running. You can give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926. We'll be back after these messages. Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. And welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening here on the Mighty 990 and 107.9 FM. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And, of course, go to Facebook 
uh, live, the Mighty 990. Uh, Jim, I know we had Jerry that uh, sent us a text. Uh, Audrey said, uh, you were talking about the purple blooming things while ago, foxglove, question mark. Well, you know, and, and that's a possibility, but she's... He, she said she's seeing them all over town. Yeah. Not that many people grow foxgloves. You yeah. know, I yeah. have just a couple. Yeah. Uh, and mine are not near in bloom. They got buds, but they're five or six weeks away yes, from blooming. I don't blooming. think that, that is, yeah. is what it is. I don't uh, think so. And I mean, it's too early for Angelonia to be that tall. I thought about Angelonia, uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I mean, they're yeah. just now putting Angelonia in the ground, yeah. if they've even done it yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, um, we had uh, Jerry, and we also had uh, Rebecca. She said, good morning, uh, guys, from Bahia, Mississippi. I hope you all can hold it together without Miss Veda. Well, this is great because we have to spend less time reeling her in. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I'm sure Veda's throwing something at the uh, radio <laughs> right now. Uh, Jim, uh, Mary texted in and said, uh, when is it best to plant caladium bulbs? And that's actually a great question. Yeah, and that's what we were. We talked about, touched on it yesterday morning on Tim Van Horn's show. Um, caladiums are, are very tropical. I mean, we're talking zone 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Okay. Um, they won't winter even hardly much north of Miami. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, the ground has to be very warm before you put them in. And typically we say around May 1st, you need 60 degree temperatures or so. Yeah. This we, year, we put a little sign on our bulbs and we say, do not plant caladium bulbs until nighttime temperatures are 60 degrees or above on a consistent basis. Right. You yeah. Know? And, and that's just, you need to do that because they just won't tolerate it. So, yeah, you're still a couple of weeks away. And if we continue to have these 40-degree nights and 60-degree days, yeah. it may well be another two weeks, you know, mm-hmm. mid-May, before it's really safe to put that bulb in the ground and not stress it. Yeah, it, doing and it so. doesn't do you any good to do it early no. uh, because they're not going to do anything. They're not going to germinate when the soil temperatures are as cool as they are now. If anything, they could even start to rot a little bit on you. Yeah. Now, one of the things about caladiums is, you know, first of all, buy the biggest bulb that you can possibly find. Right. Okay. You're going to get the most plant out of it. But, you know, if you buy a bulb and it's got one or two eyes in the top of it, that's what you're going to get. One or two sprouts that come up and you're going to get multiple leaves from it right but you can significantly increase your foliage by just taking your fingernail and popping those eyes out just hold, take them and hold on just a minute yep just pit knock them out okay so that they won't grow then plant that bulb upside down and what you'll get is six to seven plant bulblets that will form around the outside and will you'll get a huge amount of foliage out of it. Oh, that's an April Fool's joke. That no, is, right? that is serious. That's in the florist industry. That's how you take a pot and make it full of caladiums with just one bulb. Wow. So, Jim, you're saying get the bulb, mm-hmm. and let's say you got two or three eyes coming up out of that bulb, just little bitty, you know, indentions right. coming up. You're saying just pop, pop them, them out. out. And then don't plant the bulb sideways, but plant it upside plant it down. Plant upside down. That will force it to kick out side, uh, side production. Now, if you planted it upright, you'd still get more foliage, but you won't get near as many as if you planted it upside down. Unbelievable. Right. And so you will. it sets them back about two weeks, okay? So they'll be a little longer coming up. But you'll be so pleased with the amount of foliage. That you is amazing. Out. I've never heard that before yeah. in my life. Unbelievable. In fact, I bought caladiums for the Botanic Garden when I was there, and I bought them DI. 
died already they yeah. would do that in machines so we didn't have to do it and that's the way we would get more foliage out of them and that's what you want of that's course you right. want the foliage out there and then the other thing about caladiums you'll see them and sometimes you'll see what looks like a little rocket shooting up through there mm-hmm. tightly wrapped thing and that's a flower bud and everybody goes oh i didn't know they bloomed yeah you don't want them to bloom yeah okay as soon as you see one of those pinch those out the little seed head right thing coming up. when it yeah. starts to open it shifts all of its focus from foliage production to seed production yeah. and your plant just stops growing so you get a little pair of snips and just cut those out of there yep you know? i reach down there with my thumb just plop them out you know that is pretty amazing what you told me about the eyes though i've never ever heard that before so and anyway. and you know because typically when you buy a bulb you know the last thing I you want to do everything you know yeah big difference but you've always heard that if you plant a bulb upside down a lot of times you know it just won't do anything that's right but that's in this fair. case with caladiums that's one of them that you can do that right too. you know and the better your soil is loosen your soil if it's a lot of clay put lots of organic compost in there okay and you don't have to plant them deep just down inch and a half or so mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you will be so happy with the results and you'll think god that kenneth knows a lot of stuff yeah thank you from thank you mr jim <laughs> and also if you've never seen a caladium bulb before it can be unless you know what to look for i mean it can be a little challenging on seeing what side is up and what sides is mm-hmm. down so a lot of people uh will plant caladium bulbs sideways or upside down just because they don't know jim mm-hmm. what side is up but you're saying really no big deal uh, when it comes to those caladiums yep all right good to know uh we did have uh, jerry that texted in and says uh, what happened to the mimosas and the candlestick trees question mark and i'm assuming jerry's talking about when he says what happened to them is you know you can't just walk through any garden center or nursery and find these mimosas uh, for sale you know, way back when, Jim, you know, there were mimosas. You could uh, you could find some that you could buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even now, you still can. But they're just it's just not one of those trees that, uh, I, I don't want to say they're, they're not as desirable. Still, I'll say it. Well, <laughs> they're just not, I, I'll say it, they're not as desirable as, as some of the other trees yeah. that are out there. Typically, we call them a trash tree, okay? They're short-lived. Uh, they're beautiful in somebody else's yard, but <laughs> you're going to have you're going to have cat, caterpillars on them. They're they're really you high are. maintenance, um, but they're beautiful when they bloom. Yeah, and there's just no demand for them, so the growers right. don't grow them. Now with candlestick trees, they're very they grow from seed and they're very slow to germinate. Uh, and typically, we don't see them available on the retail market until mid-May or so. Yeah. So yeah. I have two. I was telling Kenneth that I saved through the winter. You, br- you drug them inside, put yep. them in the... A uh, good friend gave me two that were like four feet tall, straggly, had just a handful of leaves mm-hmm. on them, and she didn't want them. So I took them home, and I nursed them through the winter, mm-hmm. and... About, uh, I don't know, four days ago or so, I whacked them off about 12 inches tall. So yeah. they're going to come on quick. So. so that's good. All right, Jerry, I hope that helps you out. Now, the last time I got, and we only got like one minute left, the last time I planted a mimosa tree, uh, my wife wanted one because she loved the way they bloomed. And uh, I, I had a friend that actually had some land that had a pond. Uh, and I knew there were quite a few mimosa trees just growing around that area, Jim. Uh, I actually went out and just dug one up, mm-hmm. uh, threw it in the back of a truck, went, took it home, I think I leaned it against the fence for a day before I implanted the thing, you know, put it in the ground. And I mean, it's beautiful. You can't kill the thing, I mm-hmm. promise you. 
Um, but, uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's 30 foot tall now, 20 foot wide. And in the spring when it blooms, it's the prettiest tree on my property. There I'm is one you. up in Millington on Navy Road that I think the trunk must be 30 inches across. And it's nearly 50 feet tall or so. It is absolutely spectacular. All right. Well, so, Jerry, hopefully you can uh, have a friend that's got some land that you can go out there and dig one up and stick it in your yard. The garden help you need. From three of the top experts in the Mid-South. Grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Good morning to you, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. If you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to Facebook Live and see us there, Mr. Jim, and send us a text if you want to. And see you there. Well, we're going to turn that camera around the second hour. Yeah, get you on there, Jim. So. <laughs> um, appreciate the people that called in this morning. Surely appreciate the text. Uh, and Jerry had texted in, Jim, and he would said what happened to the mimosas and the candlestick trees. Uh, like I said, mimosas are just kind of hard to find in nurseries now. Mm-hmm. Uh, candlestick trees, you said typically, uh, you know, mid-May, you mm-hmm. can start finding some of those. But for people that don't know what a candlestick tree is, what are they talking about? Well, it's a it's a strikingly um, yellow bloom that comes up from it. It's later on. Yes, uh, usually starts blooming midsummer or so. But it's really an unusual thing, and it's. Uh, um, you just you don't see them very often because there's just not many of them around. And how tall do yours get, Jim? Um, six feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll, they'll get much bigger, but you know, otherwise, uh, you know, but they are not frost hardy at all. So uh, you know, you have to replant them every year. Um, and then we had uh, <laughs> Rebecca Maddox. She texted in. And Jim says she had a, an azalea by her front door, like you know, like we all do, of course, or had at one time. And just had a lot of uh, grasses and weeds uh, around this azalea, growing up even through the azalea. And, you know, she said she got, you know, just tired of it. I'm going to dig the whole thing up. She dug it up and threw it back there in the compost pile. Looked out there the other day, and the thing's blooming. <laughs> I mean, No plant wants to die before it's time. How does that happen? So uh, she can, can, actually, she could go out there and dig it out of the, you know, the compost pile and replant it and have a perfectly good azalea. Mm-hmm. With the weed in the center. And also, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Uh, Audrey uh, Fielding uh, texted in and wanted to know about the... Uh, of the aquatic plants like the um, the lilies, Jim, mm-hmm. like the uh, what am I trying? Water lily. Yeah, water lilies. Typically, you know, when you get them, they're in a four to six inch square pot or right. so, and that's not just not enough soil mass for it will it'll live, but it's not enough soil mass for it to excel and and produce lots of flowers. You know, um, so you just plop them out of that little four inch pot. Yeah. Put yeah. them into a larger container. And you said you like to use just a 10-inch hanging basket. 10-inch hanging basket the hanger works pretty and well. you got the basket. Yeah, no, actually, sometimes I leave the hanger on and just put it below the surface, uh, bend it down so you can't see it, in case I need to take it out and clean the pond or anything Is like there that. any particular soil that you use for these aquatic plants? Well, mud works quite yeah, well yeah. in your yard. And then usually I'll put a little soil perfector on top to keep any fish if you have mosquito fish or goldfish from stirring up the mud mm-hmm. so um, and then i like to put something on top of the soil like some soil perfector pea gravel something just, just to that. hold it in place you were not paying yeah attention i was looking at, at mr morgan right here <laughs> god dang it jim 
All right, guys, uh, let's do let's go to Mr. Morgan on line one. Uh, Mr. Morgan, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Uh, I have a, a problem uh, at, at my church. Uh, we have a, a playground that is elevated and uh, it's right next to a soccer field, a ball field. Mm. And uh, we've got a we we got landscape well railroad ties that that uh, in the embankment and they're deteriorating they're they're eroding so the hill that's adjacent to the soccer field is tiered with landscape timbers correct well uh, railroad ties or, or railroad ties gotcha yes it's been there like 30 years and it's starting to erode mm-hmm. and what i wanted to know is uh, what would be a preferable tree mm-hmm. or uh to, to plant along the edge mm-hmm. uh, to stabilize the soil. Now, I don't want something that gets very large. And, know, and I'm assuming, Tom, I'm assuming this is a sunny area, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. How, when you I don't s- want something to get, uh, oaks would be too big. Okay. Right. They would want uh, something that gets 20 feet or so you're okay with? Yeah, that would be about right. Okay. Well, a couple of things you could look at. Any of the dwarf magnolias or any of the willows have extremely fibrous root systems and uh, will help hold that embankment. Now, when those cross ties totally decompose, uh, they're probably not going to stop some of your soil from just washing on down there. Well, Uh, I don't think they're going to decompose anytime in our lifetime. Okay. Okay. They're just... uh, the erosion is causing them to move. Okay. And we, we need to fix it right. so no one you know, so no one gets hurt. Right. Yeah, I so. mean, Jim, you said uh, the dwarf magnolias like the teddy bear, the mm-hmm. little Jim, uh, and then uh, any kind of willow, like you said, that has a very, very fibrous root system mm-hmm. uh, out there. And, and, of course, they're both beautiful trees, by yeah. the way. Um, you might take a look at those two, uh, Tom. Uh, any yeah. other... Um, uh, well, those are probably something that doesn't that doesn't cause well doesn't bloom and cause a lot of litter. Yeah, yeah. The only thing you would have with um, with willows would be if they're not if they don't get water in the heat of the summer, they'll shed some foliage. Okay. Yeah. But uh, that's that's the worst case scenario. They're not going. You don't have any blooms on either mm-hmm. one, any of these, um, but they have. They're great for strengthening an embankment like that okay uh, yeah. yeah so tom i'd look at the uh, the magnolias and the willows of course yes uh, and now one, one thing is i don't want it to make a, a screen that you can't see through because people sit on the the playground right. to watch the ball game then willows would be your choice yeah because they're not going to grow as, as close to the ground as some of the magnolias. You, you, and you plant them side by side, they'll still be able to see through them. Yeah. How, how close together should they be planted? Well, it depends on the variety of willow. You know, if, if you get something that's going to get 20 feet wide, then you need to space them out ultimately at 15 to 20 feet. Mm-hmm. Now, you're going to have some space between them until they fill out. Uh, but if you fill them in really close, you're going to end up having to remove some, and and you know it's best to plan ahead. It really is. Yeah. Oh yes, uh, I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I, I've I've done all that <laughs> before. All right, gentlemen. Thank all you right. very much Thanks, for calling us, Tom. Morning. Appreciate it, buddy, and have a great weekend.
Uh, anyway, I know we got Gloria. We'll get to Gloria here in just a second. But if you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And, Jim, um, cypress trees. I've had people call in and ask about cypress, which are absolutely, to me, beautiful trees. Okay? Great trees. And typically you see cypress in lowland areas where there's a good bit of water, sometimes even growing out of the water. Uh, but what about people that want to plant a cypress in their yard, but they're always great. but they're concerned about the knees potentially coming up. Well, and and you can have <coughs> some knees on them even in the moist driest conditions. You'll have some. So sometimes. I mean, but typically when you plant a cypress in a wet area, it sends up the knees because of oxygen, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And if you plant a cypress technically in a very dry area, you're saying you still can get some knees, but it. It's right. not going to be like it is if it was a very wet area. Right. And it's, you know, if they're an issue, just take a chainsaw and shear them off. I mean, you're only affecting <clears throat> one root usually, right. uh, and it's going to be fine. So, but yeah, they're great trees. When they shed, there's nothing to rake. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll tolerate very wet locations. They'll tolerate very dry locations. And I think they're very attractive yeah, trees. Yeah, good fall color. Great, great plant. All right, so, but now, would you say this, that if you do plant a cypress uh, somewhere on your landscape, you still want to put it somewhere where you know that you can get a few knees that come up, and as long as you're shaving them, like you said, with a chainsaw at ground level, um, you're still fine. Yeah. Yeah, so keep that in mind, guys. Uh, We had um, Carrie Kroom said uh, the cameras are working, Jim, so we got to get this thing turned to where it's pointed towards you. Good morning, Carrie. Um, And uh, uh, Susan texted in and said, where's Veda, question mark. So what did you do to Veda this morning? (laughs) (laughs) She's going to be a little while getting the ropes loose. but (laughs) (laughs) No, she had to to go into work this morning for something. Yeah, so hopefully we'll see Miss Veda next weekend. Yeah, we we do miss Miss Veda. Uh, Y'all, we got about one minute left. Is that right? And we got about a minute. uh, 260-5926, 260-5926. And, of course, we've got Gloria, who's got the community news. We'll get Gloria when we come back from the break. But also, Jim, next, uh, sometimes this morning I want to talk about uh, boxwood maintenance. Uh, we'll get into that. Not a whole lot going on with it, but boxwood maintenance for sure. And then also touch on some roses, you know, whether it's uh, the knockouts, the climbers, and everything in between, because a lot of people are planting roses, of course, this time of year. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. And then if you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926, guys. You've been listening to Mid-South Gardening with KWAM, the Mighty 990. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Mid-South Gardening on uh, KWAM and the Mighty 990. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to Facebook Live, uh, the Facebook page, the Mighty 990. And we do have Gloria on line two, who's probably got some community news for us. Gloria, good morning to you. Good morning, Kenneth and Jim. How are you? We're great, Gloria. It's always good to hear you and uh, hear that uh, a lot of the sales have been really, uh, really going on, of course, and everything's been pretty, pretty good so far with the sales. Yes, it has. I went yesterday. Um, Dixon, I mean, they... they, um, they had everybody well spaced, and um, 
It was very, very good. It really was. But they were out of a lot of the plants because of the preview party. Yes. So, yeah, um, I had a I had a one thirty appointment Thursday to be out there and still fighting a um, kidney stone. Not to, I just I couldn't go. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. So, anyway. Oh, he's going to be fine, you know? Lord. Yeah, I just spend the money somewhere else. <laughs> but um, the, there are plant lists on, online, and that will help you a, a lot to write write down, you know, what you're looking for. And, and just to be, just ask them if they have it, right. rather than you go around searching and searching and searching. Just ask them if they have it. Save you a few steps, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, save you a few steps. Yes, ma'am. And Litterman, the thing with their plant sale, and of course you have to have a reservation for all the plant sales, you right. know, for your appointment time. Right. And for mm-hmm. um, Dixon, you go to www.org. And for Litterman, um, you go to, um, you can just call them at 636 mm-hmm. for your reservation. But theirs is usually, you know, Litterman's is usually around in the circle. Well, it's not like that this time, just to let people know that if they have a problem with mobility or or anything, they're going to might have a little bit of a problem because it's over there by the greenhouse and you have to go down the hill, okay? Gotcha. And let me tell you, I struggled. But, I really struggled with my plan. Well, see, the thing with me, I'm sure I can make it down. I just want to know if I can make it back up the hill, you know? Yeah, it's hard. Good it's Lord. hard. You may need help. <laughs> I'm just telling you and, let, and letting the people know that, um, yeah, you know, be prepared. if they well, have any everybody kind of knows Kenneth needs help, something, so. <laughs> um, you know, be prepared for that. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And then on the 22nd, that's Botanic. Okay, their plant sale starts. From nine to, at nine a.m. Okay, and you have to have a reservation for that, and that's for in person. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not sh- sure exactly when um, online starts, but I'll let you know that next week. Okay, and then on the twenty third is um, Bartlett City Beautiful's plant sale, and that's from nine to six, and it's in front of stage and. Witten Road mm-hmm. in Bartlett. It'll be very easy for you to find it. They'll have a big tent, and you'll you'll be able to see it really good. And, and when is that, Miss Gloria? Twenty third. Twenty third. Okay. Twenty third. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. And then I have a couple questions for you. Yes, ma'am. Because you know it's hard me getting around now, and if if the both of you can help me, I would truly, truly appreciate. Yes, ma'am. Okay, do you know where I can find Indian Pink, uh, Alice, and, and uh, Kenneth, do you have my Clomy plant? Yeah, um, we've had do you some... you have my Clomy plant? Well, we, I'd have to... We, we, we're selling stuff so fast. We've had Cleomy already in like a little round five-inch pot. Uh, so, Gloria, if... Um, you know, if you want to give them a call today, I won't be there today, but you can surely give them a call, uh, 767-6743, and ask them if they still have some of the plants. I know we've got okay. some seed, of course, on the wall, but, uh, yeah, we've already had some plants on the Cleome. Yes, ma'am. Okay, and purple flocks? Uh, the garden flocks or the creeping flocks? Either one. 
we had creeping flocks, and I believe that we're out of it. Uh, and we got oh, some garden, okay. some more garden flocks in yesterday. Uh, but okay. same thing, Gloria. We're selling stuff so fast, you just have to give them a call just to make sure that they have it in stock. Okay. And then the the clematis that starts with a J that has the big purple flowers. Yeah, the Jack Money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How uh, do you say that? Jack Money is the correct way. Okay, I knew Jim would know. Yeah. Do uh, you have it? Do you have that, or know where I can get it? Same thing, Gloria. Uh, you know, we probably have you know forty or fifty clematis uh, back on the shelf. Uh, different they got colors. A bunch out at the Highway sixty four. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yes, yeah, ma'am. I, saw, I, I was out there this week, and I saw a bunch at Highway 64. Okay. Yeah. Highway 64. Yeah, I just give them a call, Miss Gloria. I just don't want to okay. tell you that I've, you know, that I've got something, and you know, you make the trip out there, and we happen not to have it when you're out there. So just give them a yeah. call for sure. Yeah, but I just can't find the Indian pink and the oxyalis at Jim, all. the Indian pinks, I hadn't seen Spigelium. any. Yeah, I hadn't seen any so far this year. We typically carry them every <clears throat> yeah, year. Yeah, normally you, you'll see them. Um, I would think um, Melodia that that you get some from probably will have them at some point. Um, but if, if if there's ever going to be a year that we can't get it, it would be this year. Yeah, I, I think you'll end up finding some, and I'm I'm pretty sure you'll find some at the Botanic Garden plant sale. Okay, yeah. and for the person that was interested in the candlestick plant, yeah, Jason will, should have those at UT Jackson, and I I have two of them. Yeah, and I I I bring them inside my kitchen every year, and and. So far, they made it. <laughs> That's what Jim said. He drug his into the uh, carport, and they're they're just I fine. Mean, I mean, Jason is amazed. He'll, he'll say every are your are your candlesticks still alive? <laughs> and I, and then Jack wouldn't remember, and he took it outside, and it died in like two hours because it was too cold. Well, I could have killed him. It's always something. But, if it wasn't that, Miss Gloria, it surely would be something else. You know that. But, Jim, how far did you say I cut it back? On your candlestick, how far did you cut yours back? Uh, I cut it back to about 12 inches tall, the one I've got. Yeah. The two I've got. Okay. All right, Gloria. I'll I'll try that. Well, baby, thank you. Tell Jack we said hello, and I appreciate the phone call, Miss Gloria. Keep us uh, informed. And I know we've got about two minutes. We might not be able to answer the question, but we can go to Mark on line one. Mark, good morning to you, buddy. Uh, Hey, guys. Um got a tree planting question for you. We just put down a, a, a pecan tree in my front yard and um, mm-hmm. stumped ground and grinding and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd like to eventually you know, put an, another tree, uh, a smaller one eventually. But the question is, uh, could, we, um, it, could we eventually put something in the same spot? And if so, how long would we need to wait before we could do it? That's a great question. All right, uh, Mark, we probably can't get to the whole answer. Uh, we got to go to a break here in just a minute. We will answer the question for you. So, Jim, they had a big pecan tree cut down. Like a lot of people do eventually, some of these bigger trees just have to come down. Uh, then they get everything ideally ground up, get the stump ground out of there. So we'll talk about uh, what prep should Mark go through. And can he actually plant a tree? Because a lot of times when you take the tree down, you want another tree in that same spot, mm-hmm. okay? So can he plant a tree in that same spot? And if he can plant a tree in the same spot, does he need to wait 
you know, before he can do that. So all good questions. Yeah. So Mark, we'll uh, we'll make sure that we address that question when we get back from the break. But guys, if you're out there, you can surely give us a call this morning. Uh, two six zero five nine two six two six zero five nine two six. And like a lot of people have already done, Jim, you can go to uh, Facebook. Uh, the Mighty 990, it's that easy, and you can shoot us a text. Um, so it's a lot of different ways you can get in touch with us. And then you can always call Jim direct on his phone. What's that phone? <laughs> <laughs> ah, I thought I'd get you there, funny Jim. Guy. Yeah, it's funny he didn't give his phone number out just then. Uh, all right, guys, we're up and running. we got to go to a break here in about uh, 10 or 15 seconds. 260-5926. 260-5926. And like I said, the Mighty 990 Facebook page live shoot us a text we'll be back after these messages now back to mid-south gardening grown by your friends at dan west garden center for details on how you can start home growing visit danwestonline.com welcome back this is mid-south gardening listening to kwam 107.9 AM 990. Yes, it is. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926. Jim, we had a call uh, before we had to go to the break. Uh, Mark was talking about uh, he had a tree cut down, a big pecan mm-hmm. tree cut down. And he had the uh, everything ground up, of course. And he wants to put a tree uh, either in that same area or the same spot. Uh, suggestions other than, of course, you want to get out there and try to remove as much of that wood product as you can. You know, all the, the shavings and the ground up sawdust and so forth. Try to get all that out of there as just best you can. You can throw it in a compost pile, use it for compost later on, but you don't want to go out there and put a tree uh, in all that wood material, if you will. Um, I would also go out there and add uh, some compost you know, to that area where that big pecan tree was. Uh, you know, you can fill it back in with some garden soil or you can get some bulk soil. Uh, I'd add some compost to that, work it in really good, and then you're ready to come back and plant a tree. But, Jim, what do you think about planting in the same spot? Though? I would not recommend that, okay? Uh, what's going to happen is the roots that are from that tree are still there. you got the stump out, but the roots are still there. And they're going to be decomposing over the next 20 years or so. So they're going to be going, you're going to get some sinking You're there. going to get roots following, though, from the new tree following alongside those, and they're mm-hmm. going to decompose, and you're going to end up with some space in there. Gotcha. Okay? Uh, that's where varmints tend to live. I think it's uh, you should move three to five feet away from that tree and and uh, where it was and plant there. Yeah, uh, you're going to be planting into garden soil, not into the fresh stuff that you put into that hole. Right. So it's going to be healthier for your tree just to move a little bit over yeah. and plant it there. Yeah. Now in in the area where he had the pecan tree cut down. I mean, you do want to come back in there. Get all that stuff out if you can. You can, yeah. Uh, and come back in and kind of level the area off. You can use some of the soil that you take when you plant the new tree, right. you know, over there. And then, you know, a lot of times people would just come back and put some sod or, or some grass seed back over that area, Mark. Uh, and then, like you said, scoot over a little bit, Jim, before you plant your new tree. Because a lot of times trees are planted strategically where they need to be or where people want them to be. Uh, but like you said, if you plant it in that same spot... You could have issues with the the ground kind of giving away uh, and the tree sinking on you, if you will. Yeah. Uh, the roots are still out there, like you said, and they're going to decompose. 
And you're saying, Jim, if you planted a new tree, would the new tree roots, you know, try to take that same route as the old roots? They will take the the path of least resistance. So they will run alongside other roots because it's easier for them to do that. Gotcha. I moved into the house I'm in uh, nearly 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. and there was a huge tree in the backyard that they had taken down. And to this day, 20 years later, suddenly we'll get a sinkhole pop open where a huge root. In fact, I had one in the garden right off the deck there, and I could turn the shovel up, put the handle in, and push the shovel all the way to the ground. Pretty amazing. Yeah, and and it took several hundred pounds of pea gravel to fill uh, that back back up. Yeah. All right, Mark. Well, hopefully that'll help you out, buddy. And if you have any further questions about that, surely give us a call. And I know we got Barbara on when we get to Barbara in just a second. Uh, Jim, um, boxwoods. Uh, you know, boxwoods are evergreens, of course. And, you know, we did see some damage, and I saw a good bit of bronzing uh, on boxwoods after this winter. Uh, you know, back in the day, you know, it seems like they were the American boxwood, and some people would try to even grow some of the miniature English boxwoods, a lot of times to no avail, right? But there are a lot of good hybrid boxwoods out there on the market. Uh, whether it's the, you know, the winter green, the baby gym, uh, the winter gym, the uh, green, I mean, just on green mountain, on down the line. Uh, but I always like to tell people still go back to the basics. You know, they need really good drainage. They are shallow rooted, thank goodness, but they still need good drainage, even the hybrids. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you don't want them setting in water. The hybrids can take, like I said, a lot more sun than the old fashioned American boxwoods can take. Uh, this time of year, a lot of people just normal maintenance. They'll go out there and put some lime down around these boxwoods, keep the pH up where it needs to be, and they'll put a heavy dose of, say, milorganite down around these boxwoods. And then also when it comes to mulch, Jim, uh, people ask all the time, you know, what's the preferred mulch for boxwoods? And mine is, you know, whatever color you like mm-hmm. and whatever mulch you like. Uh, the biggest thing is just make sure you don't put a heavy layer of mulch down around these boxwoods, kind of like Japanese maples. They're very shallow-rooted, and they don't like that root system just covered with four or five inches of mulch. Yeah, and you want to make sure, too, that that mulch doesn't, particularly in the growing season, does not touch the trunk of that boxwood. Mm -hmm. Okay. You don't want your bark on anything to stay wet. Right. You know, and in fact, I was amazed. I went down Farm Road the other day, and all the maples that they planted along Farm Road. I've seen there, them. Sure, they got those volcanoes on mm-hmm. them. Now these, I mean, this this is a park. This is yep. people that should know better. Yep. You know, and they're good. Those trees are going to end up going backwards. You know, and it's just it's sad uh, because that bark on there is going to keep that everything wet there between the the crown of that tree up to where the top of that mulch. It's um, it's bad news. So, I mean, a mulch is fine around the boxwoods. Just keep it off the stems yeah, and don't, don't have it, it in the crotch of you the boxwoods either. You know, just get close as you want to. Just don't let it touch it. Um, so hopefully those are just a few things, guys, that we can do to boxwoods to keep them uh, as healthy as we possibly can. And I would check that pH just periodically to make sure it's where it is. Let me, let me say one thing here. Now, when you say check the pH, because you don't want to add lime every year, Jim. You don't want to get just it wanna, too high. Right. But you also may be getting it too low. So you want to... And you want that pH want, between 6.2 and 6.6, something yeah, like that. Yeah, even, you know, most of them will tolerate up 7, just be yeah. happy as they can be. Yeah. I did want to say one thing here. The, the, we, uh, we've had some uh, engineering problems here, in case y'all heard us off the air. We uh, we got our camera back yesterday afternoon, and uh, and apparently it's picking up our voices. Sometimes when uh, 
we're going to break. So I want to apologize for anything Kenneth said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing like being thrown under the bus, Jim. <laughs> uh, we do have Barbara waiting. Let's go to Barbara. Barbara, good morning to you. You're gardening in the Mid South. Good morning to y'all. Yes, ma'am. And first, I've got a comment. Could the uh, uh, what did y'all call it anyway? Some kind of an orchid. Could that be a Chinese ground orchid? Yeah, that's it. Chinese okay. ground orchid is a Blatilla Blatilla striata, and there are a number of really cool cultivars. But that it's okay. it's a spectacular purple flower. Yeah, I know. Some a friend gave me one, and I've got it in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> And it's going to bloom. But anyway, back to irises. When should I be fertilizing them? Yeah, we're talking about like the old-fashioned bearded iris or like a Siberian yes. or? Well, all of them. And that's another question. I've got about five different types of irises, and I don't know, but the tall beard, bearded and the Japanese Insada iris. Mm-hmm. Where can I find out what these other ones are? Well, if you want to go to our Facebook group, post pictures, uh, we can do that. Now, if they don't have flowers on them, it becomes a little more difficult. And the name um, of the Facebook group is? Mid-South Gardening. Oh, I know all about okay. it. Okay. I'm not up, I'm taping it. All right. Okay, good. <laughs> so, uh, But anyway, if you go to the Facebook group and, and post pictures of it, we can identify them for you. Uh, and as far as feeding them, uh, Barbara, uh, if you're using something like bulb tone, I mean, you can go out there today and feed them. Yeah, plant tone, anything like that, you know, okay. it really doesn't matter. You know, I've got bearded irises in full bloom right now, so they're early plants. Mm-hmm. I do, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do y'all or do you know anybody in our area that carries Japanese Insada irises? Well, we typically do get in some um, every year, some Japanese iris and some some Siberians and maybe some Germans and, of course, Mm -hmm. even some bearded uh, iris. So um, but this year has been so crazy, though, Barbara, uh, as far as trying to get product in. I mean, we're getting a lot of stuff in. We're getting trucks in almost every other day and we're selling a ton of stuff. But uh, you would just have to give, um, give us around. a call, uh, 767-6743. That's the uh, the one on Poplar, the Dan West on Poplar. You just give them a call. They'll run out there and take a quick peek and see if we got any in stock. Okay, because I, I was in y'all's nursery yesterday. Yeah. But the man said y'all didn't have Okay, it. well, there you go. And I know we did get a perennial truck in yesterday afternoon, but even with that, you know, we're just uh, we're ordering a lot of stuff and getting some of what we order, you know? Okay. Okay. And these lawn people that do your lawn, how many times a year should that be do- being done? Well, most of the lawn services have about a seven-service thing seven. per year, um, okay. you know, because they're feeding, you know, typically every month or six weeks. They're putting pre-emergence down. They're putting lime down, and they're coming out there controlling the weeds as needed. <clears throat> but most of them, Barbara, it's going to be six or seven applications per year. Okay. Okay, because I was thinking years ago when I first started, it was about four. Now I'm paying seven. <laughs> right. Now, do we need all seven? You know, that's up for debate. But uh, I'm telling you, I don't know of any of them that only have a four application service anymore. Okay. Well, like I say, this was many years ago. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, okay. Ma'am. Well, I thank y'all. Thanks. Hey, thanks, for thanks Barbara. In. Appreciate it, babe. Have a great weekend. Um, yeah, Jim, um, I mean, you know, some of the lawn care services, you know, I mean, some of them have more applications than others. Uh, you know, that's a whole nother story, but hopefully the ones that they, um, that you get, you know, you'll, you'll fall in love with. Hmm. 
don't know if that ever happens. <laughs> All right, guys, we got to go to a break. Uh, give us a call when we come back, 260-5926. we got about 15 more minutes, and we're going to talk about some roses, Mr. Jim. We'll be back after these messages. Now, back to Mid-South Gardening, grown by your friends at Dan West Garden Center. For details on how you can start home growing, visit danwestonline.com. If you haven't joined our face group, Facebook group, yep. it's Mid-South Gardening, gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. It's a place to brag and a place to learn stuff. Yeah, it's a great webpage. Um, it really is, Jim. And we do appreciate the sponsors, Dan West Garden Center, Palladios, and, of course, Bonide Corporation. Wonderful sponsors of the show. Uh, I know we got Bar- uh, Robert. Robert will be right with you. Uh, but if you want to give us a call, 260-5926. we probably got about 10 minutes. Jim, we can get a few questions in Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Uh, Robert, good morning to you, buddy. You're in Mid-South Gardening. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Hi. I have, I'm, in, I'm installing a raised bed for growing tomatoes. And I ordered and had delivered some uh, garden mix uh, soil. Mm-hmm. And what I need to know is what else do I need to put in there to amend that soil for tomatoes? Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of people do have raised beds and they want to grow veggies in there, including tomatoes. And I say, uh, Robert, think about three different things, Okay. One is, there's nothing wrong with using bulk soil or garden soil as your base soil to raise your bed. Um, But I like to add, one is compost, two is uh, potentially lime, and three is uh, fertilizer. Now, compost, uh, to me, there's not a bad compost, period. Whether it's cow manure, sheep manure, cottonbird compost, earthworm castings, mushroom compost, they're all great products. So I really don't care what type of compost people use, but you need to add compost to give it body, but also to give it that good, rich nutrient value. Because a lot of these bulk soils that we use, they're great soils, but they just have no nutrient value to it. So compost is one. Secondly, uh, especially when I'm growing tomatoes, uh, you know, you can always have a pH test run on the soil, but I like to do a little lime uh, in my raised bed, especially where I'm planting my tomatoes every year, just to keep that pH up. Now, you'll never know what your pH is unless you have a pH test done, but I'm telling you, you want to make sure that pH is up there uh, for these tomatoes. If not, you've got a better chance of getting blossom in rot. You know, the bottom of the tomato, <clears throat> excuse me, just starts to rot on you. So lime is uh, the second thing. And then thirdly is, you know, putting some fertilizer in there, uh, whether it's a synthetic fertilizer or whether it's an organic like tomato tone or plant tone or garden tone. Uh, they're all great products, but I'd like to add uh, a, a little bit of that more nutrient value in the form of a fertilizer to that soil. And if you do all of that, if you get um, the, the compost in there, make sure the pH is up where it needs to be, and then uh, feed them with some of these non-burning fertilizers, uh, I'm telling you, you can't go wrong. The only other thing is, you know, water during the growing season. Uh, check, uh, you know, keep your eyes peeled for insects and disease. But I agree with you, uh, if Jim, if you, you can go out and buy the best tomatoes in the world, if you don't have the proper soil uh, to plant them in, then you're just, you're running backwards, really, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, your bulk soil, did it have any clay in it? He's already off the air, Jim. Oh, is he? Um, well, you know, that's one of the most important things in raised beds. If you can get buy a soil or have one blended for you, and there are a number of places that will blend it to your um 
specifications. Right. But getting some clay in it. Clay is good for nutrient and water retention. Uh, a lot of them, the bulk soils we see are a lot sandy, of Sandy, sandy, sandy loam. Yeah, and, and decomposed mulch, right. leaf litter, right. and, and, which is, is all good stuff. But there's nothing in there that really holds the nutrients for you. Now, would the compost help in that matter also? Compost helps, yeah. but you know, even there, the compost helps as, as much the microbial growth as anything. Right. You know, so you know, once it's technically compost, there's little nutritive value to it. Right. Okay. So that's the reason you still have to fertilize. Right. But it's good for, for the organic matter is good for your microbes, and it makes pathways for those roots as that soil settles to go through there. So. Um, if you can get clay in it, you, you ought to get, you know, 30, 40% clay in it and you'll have better success. And you'll find also as it breaks down over the next couple of years, your success will be probably better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're exactly right. You can have a raised bed in the first year, even if you're putting the compost in there, the lime to keep the pH up and of course the fertilizer. Uh, a lot of people say that they just don't get the production out of that soil the first year as they do years down the road, Jim, when it kind of breaks down and homogenizes into this wonderful soil. But hopefully, Robert, uh, man, that'll help you out. We um, had uh, Diane call, I think, text him, wanting to know if there's any lawn services that do uh, totally organic. There is one, and you know, Kenneth and I have been sitting here, and we neither one of us can think of the, the name if he's still in business. Uh, but I think probably you can Google that, and yes, there there are some. They are a little pricey, obviously, because um, uh, of the material they're using. Right. But it's but that yes, they are out there. Yeah. So Diane, and, and if you want to do it yourself, you know, go in go in Dan West any garden center, and they can show you how to do it. Yeah. You know, totally organic. Yeah. But there, I know there used to be some organic um, uh, lawn services, like you said, Jim, here in Memphis, and and. The, they come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'd get online um, and just see Diane and see if you can find um, one here in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, also, uh, Jim, and we only got about a couple more minutes, is uh, with the tomatoes that Robert was talking about in the raised beds. I love raised beds because you, by default, you have good drainage. I mean, that's one. Uh, but you do want to make sure these raised beds are getting more sun than shade, if not full sun. Now, what about the old theory, Jim, that you do never want to plant tomatoes in the same spot year after year? But a lot of times in raised beds, you're you're growing nothing but tomatoes out there. Yeah, you know, if you've just got one, there's you know, moving it four feet down to the other end, it's not going to help you much. Well, but I mean, but if you go in there and recondition that soil every year with some good rich compost, mm-hmm. uh, and you're you know keeping the pH up like we said, and feeding it like you should, and watering during the uh, summer. I mean, we still can get away with planting roses yeah. in a raised bed, you know, year after year, correct? Yeah, the only thing is, you know, when you have leaf diseases, whether it's on tomatoes or roses or whatever, a lot of that will harbor in the soil underneath the plant and come back next year to bite you again. Right. But here in the Mid-South, this is like the most humid place in the world <laughs> other than like Charleston, South Carolina. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you're going to have leaf diseases, you know. You yeah. know, knockouts are considered black spot free everywhere in the country, except here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't that so. crazy? So what does that tell you? So, Jim, uh, make sure you've got some good uh, fungicides uh, handy when you're growing tomatoes because... You're going to need them. <laughs> yeah, whether it's the, you know, daconil, liquid copper, any of those kind. But, uh, yeah, you're probably going to need them before it's all said and done. Well, guys, we've had a great morning with you. Eric, thank you so much. Our producer in there, we couldn't do this without him. Thanks to the sponsors, Dan West Garden Centers, of course, Palladio, 
and Bonide Corporation. We do appreciate it. We'll see y'all, of course, next weekend. Jim, thank you for being here with me too, buddy. Always a pleasure. You've been listening to Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 KWAM. See you next weekend. Appreciate it.